Yay! So welcome, 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 welcome to this month's episode. I am super excited. It's so good to kind of have another researcher in the house. Um, And it's great that you can kind of bounce ideas off of one another and kind of find out what other people are doing. So today I am excited to introduce um, to some, I guess, present to others, none other than Miss Lanice Stevens, Dr. Lanice Stevens. Um, So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dr. Cox. No, thank you so much for for being here. And like I said before, I kind of alluded to this a bit, that Dr. Lanice Stevens is a researcher um, and also a mental health professional who kind of centered her work, at least her research around kind of um, doing research on the plus size community, particularly black women. And so I am overjoyed to have another researcher in the house that we can sit and kind of talk a little bit about about what that looks like um, in this context and kind of give uh, listeners an idea of what it means to be in the lab doing things. Um, and so yes. I'm so grateful that you're here. And like all guests um, that come through the show, I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and introduce yourself uh, and tell the viewers about who you are. Yeah, so I am, my name, again, my name is Lanice Stevens, Dr. Lanice Stevens. I yes, have to get used doctor. to saying it. Yes, uh, No. <laughs> um, so I am, sweet and short, I'm a mental health therapist, an African-American plus-size mental health therapist, and I, I love the aspect of helping people discuss their emotions about things and becoming more emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to get away from the phrase mentally ill. But also knowing that people have life stories outside of of the factors that make the physical factors that make that comprise of them uh, other than their race, their gender, their sexuality, but also body type. So knowing that I have lived, I have a a long lived experience of being plus size. Uh, My story is that I've always been overweight as a kid and, you know, um, when you're a teenager, you get to be sick, and then when you do mature, um, you kind of remain uh, plus size. So I, my my story has always been within that marginalized population of being overweight, and I just got to a point where I really wanted to break out of that mold and and you know add to the revolution that's happening nowadays, and that's how my my research came to be because I wanted to definitely highlight something that went with the grain, but also went against the grain a bit, if you could say. Okay. Okay. Well, that is a great introduction. And so, (laughs) as you know, I mean, I think people know, like there are a lot of people who may identify as plus size, identify as fat, um, but everybody doesn't choose to get involved. So um, I know you kind of hinted at a little bit, kind of going off the rail to to kind of do your own thing. But tell, I guess you could tell us a little bit, you know, how you kind of got involved in, I guess, in activism or advocacy um, for larger bodies. You know, I'll say this. So when I was a teenager, um, that was my first experience with therapy. I, my mother passed away when I was 12. And, and I will say I was a smart teenager because I chose to go and talk to someone. And I realized that, you know, something has to, like, something has to be different than, than my experience that I had dealt with 
after my mother had passed. So <clears throat> with that, I it was a constant theme that happened as a kid when I was going to a therapist and I and I switched around a lot as a teenager. You you know, oh, you don't like this, so you're not gonna go back. I was finding that every time I would go talk to a therapist, they would bring up the the, the conversation about weight loss. Hmm. Like I said, I was I was a I was a chubby kid and I was a, a you know, a, a curvy young girl as I matured and got hips and, and breasts and butt and thighs and things like that. So it, it it was enhanced. So I'm going to see therapists and like literally every therapist that I saw, and that it was probably a total of three out of my teenage years, every one of them brought up the discussion about weight loss and wanted to say that if I, if I wanted to be quote unquote happier, and not be depressed, then I would need to, that I should think about losing weight. Wow. And it didn't get until, it didn't really connect to me until I got to college. I went to Hampton University and <clears throat> I, again, made sure I was a very, just thinking about this, I was a very smart kid, just to toot my horn a bit. Um, <laughs> I made sure I filed the counseling centers on campus. I wanted to know if, if I'm going to find out where the hospitals are and the clinics are and the cafeteria. I want to know, okay, where do I want to go? Where do I go if I need to talk to somebody? So I was always intuitive of that there was also another aspect of health other than physical health, that there was also a mental health aspect. So at, on, on the campus of Hampton University and um, meeting an African-American therapist that also mirrored my image, that was, that was of a plus-size curvier, a.k.a. fat, when I, I was already equipped with my previous experiences, so when I met her, I was already prepared thinking that, oh, you're going to talk to me about weight loss. Okay, well, let me catch you up. And and here I am unloading everything that the other therapist had, you know, basically um, projected onto me. And she's like, well, no, you you can talk about anything you want to talk about. And this is not about what I want you to do is this is about what, what you want to do in order to change yourself. And that's when I had an aha moment. I was like, wait, what? This is not that that wasn't how therapy was. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, it's about your overall progression that you want to make. So with that in mind, that really changed how I utilize therapy. And also how that was that was my scope of how I viewed what people perceived of me. And as I, you know, got up in higher ed and and graduated and started working, that theme, that constant theme was present of how people really viewed overweight, a.k.a. fat women and um, more so African-American fat women. And it just became a very, it was very always at the forefront of when I did interact with people. I wanted to educate people about curvier women, plus size women that we have a totally different story than what you think we have. Mm-hmm. And so that has been like my platform ever since. Like this was the ultimate time for me to really take the experiences and the education that I've learned all the years and really combine it with the research that has been presented now with the movement that's going on and to really have, okay, let's talk about the qualitative nature. Let's get the stories out about the fat experience and the fat liberation and demystify any stigmas that are out there about the fat population and and to really shift the oppression that is that is put on this on this group of women 
Okay, and so since you going there, we might as well finish. Let's take the <laughs> lead, right? Um, so obviously this brings you to a place you're in higher ed and now you are moving towards, you know, doing your own research on your road and journey to being crowned, if you will, doctor. And so tell yeah. us a little bit, you know, about your research. So um, my research involved eight plus size African-American women within higher education because I had to, uh, of course, I had to gear it towards the counseling profession. And so given that many of the women that I interviewed, they um, were all within the higher education profession. They were all licensed therapists, all over a size 14, all within the age range that I had <clears throat> that I had selected and also had teaching teaching experience on a on a graduate level. So they fit my criteria. Dr. Cox, the stories that these women were sharing with me about how they derived on their own levels of self-esteem, confidence, and despite the cultural norms that have been set for us for years, that these women still pursued their personal interests. They still stood firm of what they believed in. They still um, gained you know, good energy from, from the resources within the home, within their peer groups that look like them, within their religious practices. And so that's the, that's the narrative that I wanted to highlight. I did not want to go, again, like I said, I went with the grain in regards to the research aligning it with higher education, but I also went against the grain because I did not want to have another research, research added to the quantity, the quantitative research, the numbers. The numbers don't represent us, and the numbers don't tell the stories, and the numbers don't share in the experiences. And the numbers don't give the personal manual of how these women have created great quality of life experiences. And so that's what I wanted to highlight in my research of the narrative, the stories, the collective, um, the collective stories that women use to, to, to establish and to mold their quality of life that they have, the great quality of life experiences that they have. Okay, and so kind of let's let's break it down a little bit. Um, when you say quality of life, what were some of the things that came out in your findings? So some of the things that came out in the findings were like let's look at uh, financial income and how that was the aspect that was uh, afforded to these uh, participants that plus size women have the spending power. To really make, to really control and, and say, hey, if you if you make this for us, we will buy it. Um, and so that was that was a level of power that that has been that has not been really highlighted or and overlooked with the plus size community. Family, just family messages a lot. And I, I'll also include myself with this because I, while I was interviewing them, I also kept a journal in regards so that I did not. Um, so that was, I remained uh, non-biased to these women. I didn't want to, you know, interrupt their interview process or flow with my personal experiences. So having the spending power, that was a theme that was highlighted. The family images that were reflected back on them, having women in their family that looked like them when, when the cultural standard did not represent how they looked. 
So having that in-home reminder that there's beauty within what you look like and how you look, regardless if you're different. The foundational structure of knowledge instead of instead of your physicality. That was another thing um, that was a theme that was really expressed that families of my participants really poured into what they were interested in, not just how they looked. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are like the three main main themes that supported a quality of life, their overall depiction of their quality of life and, and having it to be of good standards. Awesome. And so um, was there any any findings that you had that were like surprising? Yes and no. And again, I, I'm going off of my experiences that I had to document of my own to ensure that it did not, you know, intertwine with the with my participants' narrative. I, there was a question that I asked in regards to perceptions that they have heard over the years in regards to plus size women or fat women and how it was either stated in, in regards to them or if this was just something that was a, a stigma that has been, you know, been circulated for years to come. And so, again, I, I knew I had experiences with that, and I, but I was not, again, my story is not my, part, my research part, participant's story. And it, it did, it, it shocked me, but then it also, you know, made me feel like, okay, someone else has experienced this as well. And just the, the perceptions and the stigmas that they have heard over the years even though they were not nice stigmas or representations or nice perceptions, they still persevered and they still, you know, pushed through and still found resources of encouragement, resources of um, uh, areas of support, despite um, already having uh, perceptions uh, placed upon them before even getting to know them. I see. Awesome. And so kind of, I guess, looking over your research, did you have any like, um, I don't know. So I, I studied in the field of communication. So one of the things we talk about is like implications, right? So what does this mean for future populations or what can be implemented in the future to kind of help whatever problem or answer that you were able to identify you know, based on your research questions. So did you come up Mm -hmm. with anything, any concluding thoughts, any implementations from this that you, that you thought or that you think might be helpful towards the black community and plus size women? Oh yes, absolutely. And this is really a good question, Dr. Cox, because there were lots of implications, um, a, a few to name and keeping in aspect of higher educational learning and counselor educational learning um, I have to I have to keep in mind I am at a level where I am teaching the generations to come, the future counselors, therapists that will be that will be working at my level one day. So I want to share with them knowledge outside of the book knowledge that's the framework of of counseling and therapy, mm-hmm. but also to give them other aspects of interest or multiculturalism. I know for sure. The counseling profession has done very great work with ensuring that people are educated about sexual identity, race relationships, racial identity, gender, and family dynamics. However, there there has not been a, a slice that has added to body image or um, just the overall 
multicultural social aspects of how how body is viewed within our society. So I wanted to add add to that level of letting future counselors know that this is criteria that needs to be added to the higher educational curriculum because nobody would know about this if, if they would not come up if they did not come across Dr. Stevens's 2018 dissertation about plus size women, the mental health of African American plus size women. So knowing that this holds a wealth of knowledge to share to to provide to the future generations of therapists, um, that was one aspect of it. Another aspect of it was knowing how remove the perceptions perceptions that therapists have about plus the plus size community you know just because my whole my whole start of doing this was to demystify the statement that overweight people are depressed mm-hmm. and i'm like no we're not all depressed mm-hmm. and just because i'm overweight does not put me in a category as being depressed and so knowing that that was a, a direct correlation that Many quantitative research studies have, you know, confirmed that this is an accurate statement. It's like, well, no, has anyone talked to the people to hear their stories? And that's how I wanted to come in and add to, add to the knowledge and say, okay, that is a demystifying factor. We can, we can really blow that out and say that no longer applies. So that was another piece to add to the literature, the uh, qualitative literature of the stories. And so knowing that I know quantitative research is very valued within higher education, but let's also carve out some space to hear if we're going to talk about multiculturalism, that means we have to hear the stories and not always impose numbers on them. So that was another area. And then this is, uh, I think this is more for me in regards to implications of how fashion really does play into this plus size movement. And I and I had a bonus question within my research and asking how does re- how does fashion add to this overall movement? And every participant said, like you know, yes, fashion has become a great experience now. It's not you know it's not a sad occasion to go shopping for a plus size woman. And so that also was highlighted that you know if we tap into the spending power of the plus size community, we can shape and mold our own fashion industry for ourselves. Yay. Okay. So that, awesome. Those were, yeah, those were, those were some, I mean, I could go on, but those were the, those were the major ones for me. Great. And so let me just slide in for people who don't know research, right? So when we say things like quantitative and qualitative, right? So quantitative is based not solely, but they lean, quantitative methods lean heavily on numbers um, and more towards generalizing. So if we get enough respondents, we can generalize to the public where qualitative research methodology leans more on kind of like heavy detail-oriented type data. So we're interested in words, stories, narratives, things of that nature. And so we don't access as many people, uh, but we still get the goods. And so I'm a qualitative researcher too. 
Um, but just in case people are listening along and they don't quite understand what qualitative versus quantitative means, we're talking about pretty much stories versus numbers. Uh, and so yeah. you are more interested in hearing the stories of individuals, hearing the stories of your participants and their lived experiences and kind of analyzing those things versus them kind of filling out a survey and you turning those answers into numbers being able yeah. to generalize to a population. Yeah, I did not want numbers to represent my story anymore. No, I definitely understand. I made the switch. I was like, ah, I don't want to do numbers. I don't want to do quant. <laughs> like, I absolutely want to sit down and listen. And I think when you're dealing with marginalized populations, those stories, those narratives matter so much more because when you start to count the numbers, you may not find the same type of wealth that you would right. when you sit down and talk to somebody for a half an hour and say, tell me, well, tell me about your life. <laughs> tell me a little bit about yep. how you, you know, how you manage being who you are. Yep. Yes. Yep. All right. I'm excited. Yay. Okay. So, <laughs> so we've touched on research. We kind of talked about how you got involved um, in matters of fat acceptance. And so for me, I know whenever I was going through school, I was kind of going through this process. Um, people would ask me, you know, what I studied and they would, you know, lend their ear. And I'm like, well, I'm interested in social movements. I'm interested in identity. And, you know, people kind of look at you and they're like, yes, Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, no, <laughs> fat yeah. acceptance. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, what is this? So can you speak, tell me a little bit, like, did you raise eyebrows when you, you kind of went to your committee and said, this is what I want to study? Honey, let me tell you, <laughs> you talk about raised eyebrows. I think yes. I got some blank stares mm-hmm. when I said I wanted to, um, to do my, my research on the plus size community. And I will say this, um, my committee of, uh, comprised of two individuals, they, they were rot or die. Like I really owe them everything because they really allowed me to, to do this and be expressive in, in my nature of what it is I wanted to add to, to the literature. So I, at times they had to pull me back a bit <laughs> and, and say, you know, all right, Lanise, let's get like let's get what you need done so this can be over with. You can further your research once you are once you're graduated. And now I can I can take that information and I can receive it. But when I was doing it, it was like, okay, are y'all trying to limit me? Do you not want me to do this? Mm-hmm. So now now that I'm on the other side of, of the spectrum, I can say, okay, they wanted to get me here so yeah. that I can say, okay, I'm done. It wasn't so much of, let me say, it wasn't so much of the feedback from my committee because um, one of my committee chair, uh, my committee member, he is the multicultural guru, and I chose him because he had he is very enriched within multiculturalism and with identity and race relationships and um, sexual identity and so forth. So I chose him specifically, and then my chair. She is, I mean, she's just a powerhouse. So knowing that she was, she rep- represented so mo- so many facets of being a woman, like a woman, a wife, a mother uh, within higher education. So knowing that she had those different titles, 
she did not represent my population of of the plus size community, but giving her her uh, complexity, I was like, okay, she would be more understanding of what it is that I'm trying to to portray or to 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 add, given that I know she's very complex and that this topic here is very complex. It's just not, you know, I'm just not a fat woman. I come with a story and you deserve to hear the different titles that a fat woman does have. Mm -hmm. So they were very supportive. Raised eyebrows that I got a lot from were my peers. And you have to keep in mind that as a counselor educator, the majority of the content being researched has been on um, race relationships, trauma, school-based situations or school counseling situations. So a lot of quote-unquote Black Lives Matter content. And here you have this one individual going totally opposite. And um, I got a lot of questions, but then I also got a lot of Oh yeah, finally someone's going to do research on this. Finally. So it it balances itself out. It was some raised eyebrows, but um <laughs> I I got some like like yes, finally someone's going to highlight this. Like finally and I was like, "All right, now don't go hot and when I need you to interview when I need to interview you." <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, so that that it, it was more of a reaction from my peer group. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think I can attest to that a little bit too. I think at first my, you know, my committee was, was supportive. Um, there was a lot of things that they didn't know. So it was kind of like they were learning for the first time, um, which was cool, but yeah, I, I can definitely peer groups were like, are you sure? Is this something? And then, like you said, the other, the other part of the balance was, was, uh, People saying, oh, this is so good. It's important. People need to hear it. And then so, but yeah, but that rabbit hole is real. I don't, (laughs) uh, like you said, until you're on the other side, you don't realize it. But there's so much data and things can be, you know, things can become so big, so quick. Yeah. If you don't have somebody that can see ahead, you'll, you'll be stuck in dissertation land for years. Yes. Yes. Okay. And so. Let's see here. We talked about um, your experience in academia. um, But one of the things that you kind of mentioned when you first introduced yourself is that you are a mental health professional. And it's always awesome to kind of see entrepreneurs budding, coming to light, using using their degrees um, in ways that kind of help empower others as they empower themselves. And so I would love to hear more about your practice and is there a space like do you cater specifically to uh to black fat women yes so um my private practice is named hopeful counseling and just a plug uh website hopefulcounseling.org do plug um, (laughs) (laughs) is where you could definitely you know read more about um, what my skill set is, my practices. And so in creating my my website, well, I didn't create it, in helping the person to design it, um, when I did my bio, I made sure that I put in my bio that uh, my research w- it, it is geared towards the plus size community. And 
in essence of highlighting the quality of life for African-American plus size women. So, <laughs> excuse me. So knowing that that is, that is within my bio and that people can, can read that, I will say I do have a large population of clients I serve that are plus size women and they definitely are seeking the, the therapy mental health services of how to become more empowered and to manage uh, situations of overcompensation on the job or, you know, negative interpersonal experiences on the job or in, in the home or within their social relationships. So I, when I get women that, that are plus size, that is something that they definitely highlight when they first meet me. And, you know, after doing introductions and things, that's the first thing that normally comes out. Well, I, I chose you because I like the fact that you, of your research of the plus size community. And knowing that they, they definitely feel secure in being able to talk, somebody, talk to somebody that understands. Mm -hmm. And to also look and represent them in the same fashion, um, I, I totally get it. I, I totally understand it, and I'm glad that I'm able to connect with them in a way that supports them being vulnerable and allows them to get what is needed to to, to restructure and rebuild their their personal empowerment tools. So, so yes, to answer your question, I definitely have, um, and even if I even if they're not plus size, just the aspect of having some a platform or a safe space to talk about body image. You know, our bodies are changing as we grow older. We don't look like how we did when we were in our 20s or our teens. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that body image is very sensitive to talk about, um, I also find a lot of women dealing with the changes um, that their experiences throughout their overall development. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of adding, kind of piggybacking, I guess, a little bit off of that, I do think that there is a certain sense of empowerment when you walk into a room and you see someone who looks just like you. It's almost yeah. like there's, you know, a weight that falls off your shoulder that says, okay, I don't have to explain this. <laughs> like, I'm not going right. to have to go through, you know, the same spiel that I have to give constantly. There's like this sense of relief that like, I'm able to express myself and be open and honest about something because I know that the person that is sitting across from me or the person that I'm encountering gets it. Right. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that is so awesome. And so, Dr. Stevens, are you currently accepting new patients? I am. I am. Okay. I am getting um, calls on the daily. And this is um, where I, I am so grateful for this because how all of this came to fruition um, was not by my choice. It was by my higher powers force. And I'm so grateful that, that the circumstances had to happen for me to get into this space that I'm in now because, um, you know, fear definitely holds, holds you back and keeps you from doing things. Mm -hmm. But also I'm so grateful that, um, that yes, things shifted and forced me into this. Awesome. Well, I'm happy that things shifted and forced you into this as well. <laughs> um, because I do <laughs> think that it's, you know, I think that it's needed. I think that it's important. And I think like, to go along with you, what you said, right? Like there's this sense of like, we see representation happening now a little bit more often, 
So there's representation in fashion, right? There's representation in academia, not saying that it's thick, right? But it's sprinkled and it's there. Um, And so to kind of see even in the mental health field that there's this representation and this idea that you are going to start to meet people who are body positive and not like in the mainstream type way body positive, but body positive as in fat accepting throughout, you know, to know that they, that you can run into somebody in a a myriad of contexts. Right. Definitely. It definitely makes you feel better. Like I think about the generation that's coming up after us to know that they'll have these resources in place that I didn't have or that my mom's generation didn't have. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Just, just looking at how, just off of my experience with schools. I mean, school we know can be really not nice and harsh with kids who are of a fat status. And so knowing that this is something that definitely we need to spread this word to get out to educate mm-hmm. and to get people on board because you you need to be okay with seeing people that, that look like me. And and also knowing that every person who is, is body positive is not always plus size. And every plus size is not always body, body positive. Mm-hmm. So having that distinction and knowing that moving forward also helps us to gear how to have those conversations with people who are on, on our side to advocate and as well as for those who are not on our side to advocate. Yes, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. Okay, yeah. so Dr. Stevens, um, I'm gonna go ahead and put you on the spot here for a quick second, if you don't mind. <laughs> it's the hot seat time. Um, yeah, so it's a, it, this is the hot seat portion of the episode. Um, okay. I like you, I like you to channel. I like you to channel your counseling vibes, if you could, just for okay. a second. And okay. um, I would like you to kind of, if you could. If there would be anything that you could say, any words of encouragement, any advice that you might give to someone who is where you once were, what would you tell them? Oh, this is so good. Um, So there's three themes that came out of this whole experience with dissertation, the the whole doctoral program. Mm -hmm. Um, First one is you have to be okay. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, in any, <clears throat> excuse me, in any aspect where I was getting, uh, when I was working through bachelor's, master's, and now my doctorate, <clears throat> I had to, I had to be okay with being uncomfortable and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because that was my only way of knowing that I was growing. And <clears throat> if I was comfortable. If I got uncomfortable with being comfortable, that means I was stagnant and um, that I was not growing. So that that was one thing that has been throughout any tenure of degree that I've received, that I was okay with being uncomfortable. And and knowing that I was uncomfortable, that definitely has uh, strengthened strengthened my overall my my level of wisdom because I like to say I'm wise now that I'm <laughs> that I'm older. Mm-hmm. That definitely that definitely supported my level of understanding and processing things. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The second thing 
that that definitely well, I was re- repeatedly saying this when I went through comps, when I went when I started writing, um, don't be so hard on yourself. And mm. that really it's easier said than done. And and if if I if I was frustrated because I, I wasn't finding articles to support my research, I allowed myself to feel how I felt. If I was if I was, you know, overly excited or overly frustrated, I felt how I wanted to feel for the moment. And and I just said I'm not gonna be hard on myself. And um the other one the other the other one is more so very counseling related. I had to come out of my blind spot from time to time. And that was with the use and support of my therapist that I see and knowing that I had to have somebody with an objective point of view that really could examine and look at all the stuff that I was going through and whereas though, you know, I'm when I'm in it, I'm in it. And I don't see that, okay, yeah, you're taking care of your home. Yeah, you're you're working and, you know, providing mental health services for people. Yeah, you're working on dissertation or you, know, you got like five different balls in the air. When you're in it, you're in it. And so yeah. knowing that I had somebody that could really objectively see what was going on and, and give me the feedback that I needed, I, I, you know, I'm so thankful for that. It's like, wow, that was my blind spot and I could not see all that was going on in there. And I'm grateful I had somebody to help me look through it. Okay. I'm moved. (laughs) (laughs) I'm moved. I'm inspired. Dropping wisdom. Okay. I think that those are awesome points. I think those are great encouragements that people can use in any facet of their lives um and i'm not even going to try to i'm not coming back with nothing i'm just saying that (laughs) those are awesome i have to go back and like listen take the quote down write it stick it on my wall somewhere um (laughs) just to remind myself you know um yeah i just think that those are you know it's so necessary definitely words of wisdom Woo! yes 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 Thank you so much. Yes. And also, I wanted to say thank, congratulations to you with the Huffington Post article. Aww. That is amazing. And seeing that really, really gives me hope that, okay, this is, this is how movements are done, little mm-hmm. bit by little bit. And to see that, it really gives me a, a inspiration and aspiration to say, Okay, Lanice, you you can do that as well, and you can add to what she's done, and and this is how we just push it a little bit further, and every year someone comes along and adds and pushes it a little bit further, and before you know it, this is how movements actually occur. So I I, I applaud you. I'm so happy for you, and and I hope to be able to be in support of of what you have set out already. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And every time, I mean, when people ask me stuff, I do. I always look to put other people on. Like, it's, you know, I don't like to be in the spotlight. So the Huffington Post thing was like a change of pace for me. But yeah. I am grateful for the people that seen it and the people that were touched by it and inspired. So I appreciate, I appreciate your words for that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes. Okay, and so you done already told us about your website. 
Um, <laughs> yes. Tell us about anything else. Where can we follow you? Where can we see you? If you have any webinars, workshops, anything like that coming up, we'd love to know. So definitely um, my email address is hopefulcounselingllc at gmail.com. Um, I do have... Uh, I do have social media right now. It's more of the personal side, hopeful counseling um, on Instagram. I am in the process of, of working with someone to, to, uh, to work my social media, my uh, business social media page. So that will be definitely up and operating within the next month or so. Um, right. right now, right now, um, Dr. Cox, I think you have you were in this space not too long ago, like knowing that now graduation is here. It's just a matter of like, oh my God, okay, I finished, yes. and let me breathe and yes. you know get my, get my thoughts <laughs> together of what's next. Um, but I know for sure, um, January 2019, I definitely want to to begin adding to a lot of articles in support of adding fat liberation to articles or fat acceptance to a lot of print material. I do look to add more content to panel discussions and, you know, sharing our stories. That's the thing. We don't have the actual instructions on how to get confidence and self-esteem being a plus size woman, but I'm a firm believer in how stories add to the manifestation of confidence and self-esteem in the next individual. So knowing that I have to, uh, this is a platform I've been given and and there's endless opportunities. So definitely people can reach me at hopefulcounseling.org. My email is on there, telephone number, and I'm always, you know, looking for ways to connect. All right. Yay. And so people will stay tuned. (laughs) People will indeed stay tuned. And I'm looking forward when when the IG page is up. I'm going to follow yeah. it. Um, I'm looking forward. I am I am so happy for you. And I'm looking forward Thank to all you. the things that you are heading towards, what you are going to do. And yes, by all means, graduation, dissertation, everybody needs a break. And yes. I understand. If you just happen <laughs> to disappear for the next couple of weeks and pop up, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I absolutely, absolutely get it because you never realize how much all the writing and studying takes out of you until you stop doing yes. it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I think I better sleep. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so yeah. But I, I absolutely, I am so grateful. Thank you for taking the time out to meet with me and to do the interview in the middle of as you are preparing to actually make it official and walk and um and and you know and and graduate. I am so grateful for spending time with you today. And so thank you again for kind of showing up and sharing what you've learned and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. And looking forward to supporting you in ways in in the future as well. Great. And so as we uh, prepare to close, um, as always, for people who maybe this is your first time listening. So I, social media, I'm on Facebook as Fresh Out The Cocoon, IG, Fresh Out The Cocoon, Twitter, FOTC underscore podcast. Um, and then there's also <laughs> the website where I sell merchandise, get yourself a t-shirt or something. Um, and that's freshoutthecocoon.com. And 
yeah, I'd love to hear your feedback. If you guys have something or I'm sorry, people, uh, individuals, if you all have something that you want to share, um, my email is freshoutthecocoon at gmail.com. And as always, be you and stay fresh. Oh, yeah.